Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We're glad you're joining us. Seth, how are you? I'm I'm awesome, actually. We got a surprise three inches of snow last night. Oh my so gosh. So I shoveled my driveway and I built a snowman and I baked cookies. And <laughs> That sounds very cozy. <laughs> had a great day. <laughs> last weekend, I was in Minneapolis and they got like feet of snow. Feet. <laughs> it was crazy. I It was terrifying. Like I, snow uh, banks past my head. I mean, we are only like four hours north of Oklahoma City now, but like the amount of snow, much how much more snow we've gotten since moving up here has been amazing. We've had like multiple snow days. It's yeah, awesome. I that's love crazy. It. Well, we are in Deuteronomy 19 to 21 today. We've just uh, come off of talking about the like authority figures of judges and kings and prophets and priests. That's exactly right. And now we're coming into... A really much more of a difficult text, I would say, than the last couple of weeks, because this one is all about like death and blood Killing, and murder. <laughs> when people have died, what to do with their possessions, what yes. to do with their, their women. <laughs> like, right. when yeah. They, yeah, it's like it's there's like a lot of little thorns. <laughs> it is, yeah. section. And so I, I think it would be helpful to bring this up here. And I apologize to all our listeners for not bringing this up earlier. Um, when I wrote the devotionals, the spoken gospel devotionals for Deuteronomy, um, I, I put this all throughout and I have just not mentioned it since we've been recording these. I think it's really helpful. So um, there comes a time in, in Deuteronomy once the law section hits after the opening narrative and Moses is basically walking through the Ten Commandments and giving larger explanations about how each of those Ten Commandments is going to be lived out in the Israelite society once they enter the Promised Land. So that so, what you mean then yeah. is that, so, honor Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and like that, right? Well, that's not the first commandment. No, that's, that's not Jesus the first commandment. Yeah. That's what Jesus <laughs> but said. Like, but so, for, for instance, for but instance, like, honor, the, like, keep the Sabbath day holy. Yeah. Right, that maps on to what we looked at a few weeks ago with all the festivals and the seven times seven stuff. Oh, and, that's exactly right. Yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then last week, right, we looked at all the authority figures, which maps on to honor your father and mother, honor those above you, like judges mm -hmm. and kings and priests as well. So, right, like, right. what what I what and what he's showing us here is that these ten commandments are really like these principal placeholders under which a whole mm -hmm. slew of 
godly character comes out. Like we're right. meant to meditate on these 10 commandments and apply them to all of life. And so where we are in the 10 commandments today is thou shalt not murder. And that's why we get all this death stuff right. <laughs> and like all this stuff about murder and killing and war, manslaughter, blood, and manslaughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's okay. why it feels like really concentrated and like, why did they put it all together? Well, it's because that's the part of the Ten Commandments that we're at now is thou shalt not murder. So, oh, so this so, so one yeah. way to think about this then is, is either Moses's meditation or Israel's meditation or the priests and the pr judges meditations on what it means not to commit murder. Like, okay, that yes. doesn't just mean not like in anger killing somebody. It also mean that me has implications for the way we conduct our wars, and that has implications yes. for who accidentally kill people, and that has implications for um, the reasons why people murder each other, which makes that like that property boundary marker thing. Like, people kill each other <laughs> over land all the time. Like, you know, like, yes, that makes sense. Okay, yes, and so, and I think what it's meant to do is also go like. Thou shalt not murder. Cool, but we're also going to war. So yeah. what do we do there? And, oh, thou shalt not murder. But you also told me to do the death penalty for these different situations. Like, you know, it, it just, it, it kind of is meant to answer questions that people would have in trying to apply consistently yeah. this command. And so we get the nuances within it that God intended here in these laws. So anyway, that, that might be helpful categorically. That's so, very, very helpful. Yes. So kind of from a broad stroke overview, we, we, we kind of have some, some major themes happening here. We have the cities of refuge, which we've talked about now twice because it's in yeah. Exodus and Numbers or Leviticus. It's in, uh, yeah. And it's we already talked about in Deuteronomy 4 where they established the oh, first three uh, right. cities of refuge in, on the east of the Jordan. And this is yep. essentially talking about the, the three that you'll plant uh, west of the Jordan. And then mm -hmm. it also says, and you'll plant three more if you are obedient to the Lord and your borders extend. So it's kind of right. like giving provisions on what will happen as you your kingdom continues to grow. Right. And so, um, and maybe instead of trying to fly through the whole text, we'll, let's just kind of go in order here. Um, so the cities of refuge, we've talked about it before, but the brief version is that, that there were supposed to be these cities of refuge, basically equidistance from each other, so that wherever you are, you are kind of like, Never more in range, yeah, yeah, in <laughs> range of a city of refuge. And so what it was for was if you, the, the example given here in Deuteronomy 19, if you are like chopping wood with an axe and unbeknownst to you, your axe handle is kind of, you know, crummy and the head of the axe flies off the stick and hurtles through the air and then lands in your neighbor's chest and kills him. Yes. That was an accident. And uh, that neighbor's brother, who's really mad at you now, yeah. who would be like his avenger of blood, doesn't have the right to come and kill you because you accidentally killed the his brother. <laughs> the least popular avenger. The least popular. I'm the avenger. The avenger like of the blood. dark avenger that <laughs> like does the dirty work for the Avengers. It's, it's like, like oh, pretty man. retelling of a Marvel universe. The blood avenger. So funny. Anyway. And so um, what, what I think is really interesting about the City of Refuge that I don't know if we've talked about is... Um, the, 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 the person who, who killed the guy accidentally, the manslayer, yeah. he can flee to this city of refuge in order to be safe from the Avenger of blood. Yes. And, and, and so it, it's this place like that he can go because God knows the human heart so well that he knows that this brother or mm -hmm. father, son, whoever the Avenger of blood is going to be for this guy who died is going to seek revenge. Right. 
And, and God is saying like, I'm going to protect not only this person who doesn't deserve to die, the emphasis in this passage seems to also be on, I'm going to protect the holiness of my land. He's like, I'm doing this so that you won't shed innocent blood in my land. Yeah. I think it goes back to like another part of like, like a lot of these situations that are being described are situations where injustice is really, really likely. Like it's common for in, in the, when this time was written for people to take revenge or avenge the blood of their brother who Mm -hmm. was, who was killed. And a lot of times that led to justice. Like sometimes people were killed and the brother comes and exacts the death penalty on behalf of his deceased brother, right? Like Mm -hmm. justice would be done. But a lot of that was like a really inconsistent way to do justice because there was right. no witnesses, there's no courts, there's no appeal system. And so what God is doing here is he's allowing for justice to rule more consistently in his land. And yes. I think that's what ends up happening in a lot of these laws when it comes to killing in particular. How can justice be more consistent everywhere throughout my land, not just where one person can enact it by himself? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's really helpful. And I think, and so there's there's two sides to this one coin here about innocent blood. So the city of refuge exists so that this person who doesn't deserve to die, this accidental manslayer, doesn't have his blood shed on the land, Yeah. right? But the other side of that coin is if he is a murderer, if he hated this person in his heart, and instead of the axe blade slipping off, he wait, lied and wait with an axe and jumped out of a bush and, you know, killed his neighbor, that's murder. And if he flees to a city of refuge trying to stay safe and they find out that it was premeditated murder, the priests are supposed to bring him out to the avenger of blood Mm -hmm. and his blood is meant to be spilled on the ground. Or or else, because if that doesn't happen, then the murdered person has innocent blood spilled on the ground that has not been paid for yet. And so, Ooh, it's that again. yeah. So your person, so if the innocent blood, because right. even the phrase here, the guilt of innocent blood, the guilt of innocent blood, makes me like, I'm like, wait, what is that? The guilt of innocent blood, the yep. guilt of spilling innocent blood. Yes, is that what that means. We're supposed yes. to read there, like the guilt of taking or like taking innocent blood. Yeah, I think so. But I think there's there's this general category that it seems like the law is building here of innocent blood, like, okay. and like. The, um, like a category within the law. Yeah, and like a or and like a more and, framework. Yeah, or... an imaginative framework maybe. It's this thing that God really cares about. You know, and maybe this goes all the way back for us to like, you know, the Noahic covenant, you know, after the flood where, you know, God forbids murder because man is made in the image of God. Like God is very interested and concerned about innocent blood being shed. Now, and yeah. I know this might seem like I'm over harping a section here, I mean, but I Abel's promise it will, it will become cries out right. from the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is going to be insanely important as we turn to the next chapter. So, like, I'm just trying to build this category out yeah, of please. innocent blood and why, why why it's important. So, I think the main thing I want to say is that like God is all about protecting um, and avenging, atoning for innocent blood, and so we see that here. And what um, you mean is yeah. like when you say protecting and atoning for innocent blood. It's like on one hand, like making sure that innocent blood is not shed. That's right. And when innocent blood is spilled, there's punishment for that. Is that what yes. you mean? Yes, okay. that's exactly what I mean. Yep. And so, so, so preservate, so, like justice yep. commands to make sure that, so, so that innocence is preserved in the land. Yes. Yeah. Because all of this okay. is about like Israel maintaining its its innocence, its holiness, its goodness, its justice once they enter the land so that they can continue to flourish alongside God. So mm. this is this is so true that if you allow me, I think we can go ahead and jump 
over to the Ooh. beginning of chapter 21 because okay, I think okay. it forms a little bookmark here or a bookend here. So yep. you have this other very strange story um, where let's just say this dude's walking in the woods and he's not inside a town anywhere. He's just kind of walking out in the, in the desert yeah. and he sees a dead body and there's just this dead body laying here. No one knows who killed him. You know, if it was a wild animal, him. it just found him and they're supposed to measure and see which town is closest to that dead body. And they call town. the elders that would be of that within town. Within their jurisdiction, I guess. Yep, so like, that's right. Okay. Yep. And so then that town would call their elders together. You know, and we talked about the, that governing body last week or mm -hmm. several weeks ago. I can't remember. Yeah. I think it was last week. And and those elders come and they are to perform this sacrifice. They it's are a supposed really to... weird sacrifice because it's out. Yep. Because unlike all the other sacrifices that are like done at the temple... Mm -hmm. This one, this is like a killing in the middle of a field. Yes. Um, yes. It, it's by yeah, water, it, by running yeah. water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So all of this is very important. Okay. And so, so they're supposed to go out to this body. The elders are supposed to go out to this dead body and they are to there profess to God and say, we do not know who killed this man. We did not kill this man, but innocent blood has been shed on the land and we are going to fix it. And so they're to take this heifer who's never pulled a plow or anything like that, this pure heifer, and they are to slit its throat and let its break blood its break, break its, its neck. neck first and then slit its throat, right? I don't think, I, I don't remember seeing. Oh, um, man, am I making stuff up? And all the elders of the city nearest the slain men shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall testify, our hands not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it shed. I don't think, I don't oh, maybe see. You're right. Oh, oh no, no, no. Yeah, it just says break the heifer's neck. That's all it says. Yep. But I they do right. consider that as a shedding of blood. So like, you know, right. there's like, it's not, not a right. violent or a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, and, and what's happening here by the, and this running water and everything like that, it's all this cleansing that's taking place is that this, the blood of this bull or this heifer, you know, the life of this heifer is atoning for kind of a standing in the place of whoever killed this man, like, or, or whatever killed it. It could have been an animal, right? It could have been anything. And so God is trying to, even in the case of like mysterious unsolved murders in the middle of the wilderness, mm. God is concerned about preserving the innocence of his land when there's innocent bloodshed. Okay. And so what we said, when the, the guilt of innocent blood, that means whenever somebody takes an innocent life, whether that's through murder, manslaughter, uh, or even just an animal goring somebody, mm -hmm. there is almost like this pall or this like covering or this stain that appears in the land. Like mm -hmm. guilt for innocent, guilt because of spilling of blood enters into the land. Right. And there needs to be atonement. There needs, to, that needs to be fixed. Right. Innocence needs to be restored. Like innocence is lost when innocent blood is taken. Right. And innocence needs to be restored. So this heifer that's never been worked on, been used to work or anything, when its mm -hmm. neck is broken, and when the priests wash their hand over it, and they'd make this declaration, innocence is restored to the land. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. And, and, and you see at the end of some of these sections, it's, uh, it's so that it may go well with you, and so that you, know, um, you, you will not sin before the Lord. It's all about maintaining relational and proximal um, intimacy with God. Like it, it's about being able to stay in the land, about God's presence remaining in the temple. It's all about maintaining this holiness. You know, we talked a lot about that back in like Leviticus and Numbers, 
And God is still very much concerned about that. So we kind of get this repeated refrain throughout this whole section, which has been said elsewhere and will be said again in Deuteronomy, but it's, and so you shall purge evil from your midst. Hmm. God is all about getting not only the actions of evil out of your midst, you know, out of your heart, um, but he's also about when evil is done, making sure it's paid for, making sure mm-hmm. it is fixed, uh, making sure that the, the eye for eye is, is yeah, yeah is, is even, you know, just bringing everything back to an equilibrium of justice. And so it's a lot, like yeah. a lot of weird stuff is, is kind of going on here. But the thing that I want people to like walk away with is that God has a deep concern for innocent blood. And, and, and he, he will not abide by people taking the life of those who do not deserve it. Yeah. It's like a very important thing to God. Right. So much so that he right. goes out of his way to build cities of refuge and yeah. have like well, unknown murder case, cases atoned for all this yeah, stuff. Like in, in this, the, the unsolved murders, it's like in this situation, like justice cannot be done. Like that's what I wrote. Like what, ha- like this yeah, law ha- yeah. tells us what happens when justice can't be done. Like mm. no one will p- ever pay for this. Like yeah. who can, who can make this right? Because this is wrong, but we have no one to blame. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we make that right? Yeah. So it's. And it, I also think just like I have categories in my mind for like innocence lost and like the desire to regain innocence. I even watched a TV show recently where like you know it was like some killer for hire, and somebody asked them like, "What's it like to kill somebody?" Oh gosh, <laughs> kind of crazy. It's super dark. But anyway, he he responds with like, "I carry each one of them with me." Like it's like I never oh. forget the people that I killed. Because it's like there's this profound loss of innocence that happens, so it's kind of this intense moment. Yeah, but it, I think like, there's uh, like it's like the, the it's like uh, making a Horcrux in Harry Potter, right? Yeah, killing <laughs> divides the soul. Yeah, why would you want yeah. to do that seven times? Yeah, and there's and I think so we have categories. I think like the desire to regain that innocence, but yes. knowing that it can never come back. Yeah. Like we, like if you murder somebody, you don't get that innocence back. And in, right. in here, like this is saying, like that doesn't happen. Like you can't, as a person, gain that innocence back. But the land that God has chosen, the place that God chooses to dwell, can have its innocence restored. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to like yep. give myself better handholds for that. But yeah, and I think it's helpful too that you said um, that it's not only like the person that needs their innocence restored, but the place. You know, yeah. like. It's kind of like whenever you go, like you see it in like a movie, or maybe some random person has experienced this in their own. It's like, did someone die in the master bedroom of this house that we're trying to purchase? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, we can't sell this house because someone died in the master bedroom. Yeah. It's like death leaves a pole, you know, yeah. a covering, kind of like you said. Yeah, 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 and it's yeah. like until that's fixed, it's weird. And like we have categories for that. Like, yeah, I just I can't go to that place anymore, you know. Or like you go mm. to. Um, Auschwitz, you know, or yeah. uh, Hiroshima, you know, you go to these haunted. places. Yeah, it just feels haunted and desolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what you did to it, it will always have that, that just, I like that I idea. Like, the, like, like, I mean, it's like overly spiritual to use the word haunting, but I like, what, right. like the image of that, like when innocent blood is spilled, it like haunts the land. Like right. Abel's blood cries out. Yeah. Like there's this sense, like there's a deep unsettledness like spiritually in the land that must be resolved. Mm-hmm. And like God has made all these ways for the haunting to end, for innocence to be restored, for justice yeah. to be at equilibrium, to I mean, restore the balance. Yeah, It happens all the time. I mean, I remember like, so we, we, we lost our first baby 
that we were that we were pregnant with mm-hmm. and um i and like i remember the chair in the hospital that megan and i like sat megan sat in the chair and i like was at her feet on on my knees crying uh yeah. in this like waiting waiting to go and get um like an ultrasound to affirm that the right. baby was dead because the the our doctor couldn't find a heartbeat and i just re- remember that chair where we, where we were and every time I walk into that hospital now, even though we've had an, a successful, pre, you know, birth yeah, and everything, yeah, yeah. I walk past that chair and I'm like, I never want to sit in that chair again. Like right. it just has this shadow yeah. over it. And like, I yeah. hate that chair, <laughs> like, you know, and we just have these, I, we have these markers that death leaves and yeah. we long for them to be fixed. And I think that's just, our whole world is marred by death. Mm-hmm. And I just think we have this longing to have it erased that's super helpful for me. that's so so vivid because like when i read these laws the first time i was like what is going on mm. here why do you need to go to the valley where water's running to kill this right. effort like but like you're right like death leaves something and it needs to be fixed and like yeah. we live the re- we live our lives like haunted by all these reminders of death and these yeah, places we're surrounded that, by it. Like, like, like that are haunted yeah like or even like just graveyards like there's yeah. like us like these are haunted places that you yeah. don't want to enter into because you're scared, like weirdly scared of it, even though you know it, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. So what this is so, yeah, that's like what this text is actually teaching us. <laughs> but like these are, these are really <laughs> helping us. What this is saying is that God has a way to take away those hauntings. Like God yeah. has a way to scrub the death away, to mm-hmm. scrub the guilt away. Yeah, and it's through sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. And so then I think that leads us to kind of want to run ahead to Jesus. And I think we should, yeah. because I'm so curious about this and I have it, I have it written down on my notes as a question and I don't have an answer on how to parse this together. So hopefully we can kind of, yeah. you know, puzzle it out, but I just have this question here. So what are we to do with the spilling of innocent blood in the case of Jesus? Like, yeah, it's and not especially an unsolved murder. It's, it's not like, unsolved. We know who did it. Right. <laughs> yeah. But whenever we were reading the unsolved murder portion, when they're like washing their hands, saying it's yeah. not my fault, I'm like, I'm just thinking of Pilate, like right. the whole time. Yeah. But like that. But we know Jesus. You know. Anyway, his neck wasn't broken. Like there doesn't seem to be the right parallels. But you're you're right. I keep thinking there's got to be Jesus well, yeah. here. <laughs> well, I mean, think about the, what what the what the the whole the whole congregation in the court of Pilate says in Matthew twenty seven twenty five. They said. His blood is on us and our children. And that's right after Pilate washes his hands. Like Pilate washes his hands, I'm innocent of this blood. You know, cultural symbol. I didn't, I'm not going to be responsible for this. For me, he is a random dead person in the wilderness. I had nothing to do with it. You know, Pilate's washing his hands. And the people then say, fine, we'll take it. Like, we'll take the blood guilt of this man. His guilt, like his blood is on us and our children. And so Jesus is the only innocent blood that's truly ever been shed. And, and, yeah. and yet it seems to reverse the whole equation, right? Because it's <laughs> like, it's like, we all like, it, the, the innocent person's not supposed to die. That's not right. justice. Like that doesn't, that's not supposed to. Well, f- I mean, in this case, the innocent heifer dies. Right. Yep. Stains the haunting of innocent blood in the, in the wilderness. Yeah. But you're right. Like the, the there has been there's death covering the world and mm-hmm. most of it's not innocent like yeah. you know there well maybe we sh- we should like reverse our categories here like it's unsolved an unsolved murder well that person okay maybe i'm i was gonna like anyway sorry i was gonna try something but i don't think it's gonna work <laughs> i 
So Jesus, yeah, at, uh, like, so if we yep. think of Jesus as the innocent heifer who scrubs mm-hmm. death from the, from the world, like yes, yes, murder obviously implies guilt. If the world is covered in guilt, if the yes. world has lost innocent blood, and if there is guilt haunting specific places, specific graveyards, specific homes, like when Jesus dies as the heifer, when Pilate washes his hands over Jesus's body, when the crowd says, it's our fault, what happens here in Deuteronomy 21 happens to the whole world. Right. What's supposed to happen in the promised land, Jesus does for the entire world. Mm. And he scrubs the haunting clean. Like there is no more death that haunts us anymore. Like there is resurrection life for Mm. those who are in Christ. And there is true justice for those who have been, who have committed murders. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like like blood works both ways that way. It's like, Mm -hmm. this is a symbol that justice will be done. The people responsible for these murders, these killings, this blood, this haunting will be taken care of. Right. Yeah. I think, and and I just love the image too, that like, in Christ's innocent death on our behalf, there is a stream where we can come and wash the blood off our hands. Mm, like, I just love yeah. that image. Uh, and then I also, I just think it's really interesting. The because irony. we're the murderers too. Like we're the living yeah, murderers. Exactly. Like, yes. Like, they got away with they it. They got away with but, it. Yes. Right. Exactly right. Uh, and mm-hmm. then I think it's also the irony of, of what was said. Um, his blood is on us and our children, you know, and that's, that can go one of two ways. Like you said, Jesus's blood kind of goes both ways. And it depends on how you approach it. It's either going to be, you're, you're going to either be covered with the guilt of innocent blood, and therefore your life is going to be required of you. The manslayer, or the, sorry, wow. the avenger of blood, God, is going to one day come after you. Or all the blood that you've shed in this world, all the wrong that you've done, is going to be covered up because his blood is on right. you and your children. It's the like import- I- The important fact about this ritual is that the murderer gets away free. Yes, that's right. Like the murderer goes away free, mm-hmm. but justice is still done. It's still done. Like, yeah. it's, like the land is still cleansed. Yeah. And so like that's there's like an unfairness there, mm-hmm. but that's also like grace. <laughs> like, yeah. Like we are the murderer that gets away free yeah. because of the sacrifice of the heifer. Hey, did you know that we actually have another podcast? And don't worry, it's not like this one. It's only three minutes long. It's basically a shorter, more simple version of what Seth and I spend an hour talking about. Just search for Jesus in all of the Bible in your podcast app and be sure to subscribe. Let's jump back in. Okay, so we uh, we kind of spent a lot of time talking about Cities of Refuge and uh, the blood. Avengers of Blood and of Blood. Um, now... It goes from there, the cities of refuge, to talking about moving boundary markers. <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, it does feel kind of like a little whiplash. But the law here is that um, you know, God is going to bring you into the land, and he's going to give you land, um, mm-hmm. and he's going to portion it to you. And he, yep. he's the one who draws the boundaries for each tribe and clan and family. Like, this is yeah, all put there by God. Which right. the men of old have set, and so either yeah. that's a reference to Joshua and Joshua thirteen, um, or it's uh, God in Deuteronomy thirty-two. So like either one of the both God and Joshua like apportion the land out, and so if you 
disregard Joshua's divisions or God's divisions. You're rebellious. Mm-hmm. You're acting treacherously. Um, don't do that. Right. And so basically what they would do is there were these little boundary stones that kind of delineated between fields. And you have the name of the owner uh of the field on it. Yep. And you can kind of picture like, oh, I'm out here plowing the very edge of my field. And, uh, you know, if I kicked that rock over just a little bit, I could get one more whole row of crop, you know, and add, you know, 5% to my income next year. Hmm. Right. You know, it, like that sounds Nobody's like a good idea. No one's yeah. around. Yeah. And um, yeah, he says, don't do that. <laughs> and like the reason why he takes it so seriously is because not only does that, that I mean, it ends up, it ends up um, violating love God and love neighbor, right? It mm-hmm. do, is not loving your neighbor because the 5% you take for your own land is taken out of his field. Right. Yeah. Which I think is a, a very yeah. vivid picture of what sin does in our world. That anytime we we act in a way that sinfully benefits us, it sinfully harms someone mm-hmm. else in an equal yeah. proportion. You know, yeah, like yeah. there are no innocent there there's no unharmed parties in sin. Yeah. Like I just think that's a really helpful, vivid picture. But and it also like oh, go ahead. back to like what you were saying about how all this is connected to murder mm-hmm. and like uh, killing. One of the re- why do we go to war most often? It's oh, land border, and boundary border lines. Disputes. Yeah, it's oh like oh, but like just thirty feet over, yes. there's an, a stream that would be really helpful in irrigating my lawn. You know, like you know, like yes. that's like that's like why we go to war. That's why mm-hmm. we kill each other. It's over yep. personal property or well, national yeah, boundaries. And like, like, and it's and you're taking that person's livelihood. You're taking their food away from them. Because like this is an agrarian culture, so it's not like yeah. oh you don't have a place for your swing set. Like this, this is like you're taking their food from them, which is kind of like starving them to death. It's kind of like yeah. murder, you know. Yeah, and so yeah, like yeah. I think it also links in that way. But you're also breaking the command to to love God because you are you are moving the boundaries that He set. You're breaking His law, His rule, His um you know command. And so yeah. I just think it's interesting too that. Um, you know, kicking a boundary stone, you know, which might seem at, at worst a sin against my neighbor, ultimately yeah. is a sin against God. And I think, you know, like the psalmist nails it on the head when he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Like every yeah. sin not only has an equal effect on those around us, but it also is ultimately a sin against God, which is why he is the avenger of blood. He's yeah. the one who will repay us for our sins. Yeah. So a little yeah. uh, one verse section, but there one it is. One verse section. And the next one is about laws concerning witnesses so the we've already talked about witnesses there needs to be two or three witnesses in order to establish your case before a court and what happens here specifically is like well what if one of those militia uh one of those witnesses is a false witness like what Mm -hmm. if they're lying like what if they're maliciously trying to manipulate the truth to get somebody indicted for something that they shouldn't be and so what this kind of tells you is like you can't actually like rig the system by just getting more witnesses to agree with the false witness. Right. If you see two people with a significant disagreement, stop the court proceedings, mm-hmm. conduct an investigation and make sure that no collusion among the witnesses is possible. Yes. And like this pre- preserves justice in the land. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think one, one thing that we're supposed to see here uh, again and again and again through this section, I think what God is doing in putting these laws together is building a case for his supreme concern for justice, especially when it comes to human life. That if there's this murder case and someone is saying things that might even possibly be wrong, I want you to hunt down anything you can to make sure that you don't put an innocent man to death. Yeah. Like, and he's very really, concerned. Like, and whatever you 
are accusing him of and the penalty that you want that person to like experience mm -hmm. if you're found out to to be lying yeah. it'll happen to you that's right which yep. is intense it is so intense. intense it would yep. make me second guess ever like pressing charges against anybody oh, you yeah, know what i mean definitely yes and so all of this then leads us into this next section um and there are in in at the beginning of chapter 19 there are these laws about warfare and they uh, and they also stretch into chapter 21 so i'd like to address all those together here okay, well, give me say that again why are laws concerning witnesses leading us into talking about warfare i'm gonna get i'm gonna get there okay you're gonna get yeah there. Okay. but we need yeah i want to set up what the, this next section is and then i and then i think there is a logical train of thought that god is using to get us into this place but i've okay. got to lay out where we're going got it. and so basically we have laws against we have laws about warfare and these are about like um plunder you know mm -hmm. it's about like we, like uh who should go to war um wh who what circumstances who, yeah what yeah. circumstances like so let's kind of go you through have them like an in, like a there's and the big distinction here is between conflicts you have like outside of your kingdoms like uh -huh. outside the promised land and within right. the promised land that's right uh, yeah yep so some of the main distinctions are like i guess let's kind of like you can go through a whole war and you kind of touch on all of them so let's say um you are about to go into war with a nation uh he says that you should trust in the lord and do not fear and then it goes through a whole list of um qualifications basically that if you if you meet any of them just stay home don't go to war so it's like, if you are afraid, just stay home. If you yeah. have recently taken a wife, man, just go enjoy your wife. You know, like if, and it's yeah. like all these things, it's like, if you have you a better, a if you just bought a house, go enjoy your house. And I think like some of that's just like cool God's grace stuff. You it know? goes back to like how the kings were not supposed to amass an army. So like there's no mm -hmm. standing army in Israel right. and yep. the army is voluntary. Like yep. these are all like keys and indicators that like, armed services voluntary within Israel. Yes. And I think it's also a cool little uh, nod to God doesn't need a big army. You know, yes. like, whittle it down, I don't care. You know, it should remind us of, like, Gideon, you know, and God his small army. You. God fights for you. Uh, you know, I just I just finished uh, our spoken gospel poem introduction for Isaiah. And, um, you know, you have Sennacherib camping outside of Israel at the last walled city before getting into Jerusalem. And he's got 185,000 men there. And Hezekiah just trusts the word of the Lord and doesn't, you know, uh, surrender or anything. And the angel of the Lord just goes and kills all 185,000. Like, God doesn't need an army, <laughs> you know? Like, God can just do it. And so he's like, go home. I don't really need you. Um, but then... It also should remind you of Genesis 14, by the way. Where Moses oh. rescues Lot by killing or Abra Abraham. 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 Sorry, Abraham yep. rescues Lot, yep. and he actually. What's super fascinating? He actually like follows all the rules laid out here in Deuteronomy twenty. Oh, really? Yeah, I was like, there's like all these parallels where he like he's not afraid to go up against a nation that's larger than him. He yeah. only has three hundred and eighteen men, just like Gideon only has about three hundred men as well. Like mm. he went specifically with men who had been dedicated in their house and here it says mm -hmm. if you have not dedicated your house yet don't come and fight like um mm. what else he he doesn't take plunder from them but he does take plunder from melchizedek when he offers him money uh over and over again like there's all these parallels where moses mm, that's cool not moses sorry abraham follows yep. these laws and which made me think like well how did he know about them anyway mm. 
that was just a cool point. So you can go back that and read cool. Genesis 14 and just see how Abraham was commended because of his faithfulness to the law. Like he obeyed yeah. the law. Anyway, that's really cool. Um, and, and so then the, the those who voluntarily come, they go to this nation and they offer it terms of peace. And they just say, hey, you guys can surrender or fight. And if they surrender, then great, no war. You can take them as your servants and that's your land now. Yeah, which is like, this is actually a really merciful policy. Like right. that was not common for nations of that day. No. In First Kings 2031 says that Israel was known by the surrounding nations for their mercy because mm. of this policy. Like they always offered terms of peace first before they engaged in warfare. Yep. And then if the nation doesn't accept their terms of peace. Now, this is not talking about the Canaanite nations, the nations inside the promised land. This is talking about nations outside the promised land. If they don't accept their terms of peace, then Israel is to go in and wage war and put every male to death, uh, maybe even the um, the soldiers, you know, mm -hmm. but it could be yeah. every male, and yeah. take the women and the children, the livestock and everything as plunder. Yep. And so that's happening. Uh, but if it's a if it's a Canaanite nation, one of the promised nations, um, I think a more helpful designation for them would be the sinful nations that God is bringing Israel yeah. in to judge. Okay. Then no terms of peace are offered; they just go in, and it says that they put everything that breathes to the sword. Now this is where it gets super yeah. thorny, right? Is, I mean, this is what pe uh, a lot of people quote as one of the reasons why the Bible is like a morally reprehensible book. That's right. Deuteronomy yep. 20, like that's where people go. Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to put everything that breathes the sword, men, women, children, livestock, everything. And the reason given is so that they don't lead you to follow their gods. Yeah. And and like and that you would sin against the Lord is what it says. And so um, let's keep going because okay. I, I, I want to okay, keep going before we try to wrestle that to the ground because I think Deuteronomy is trying to help us here. So then once they go and they, they, um, they you know, take over a nation and plunder it, then there's rules about plunder. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and they can, uh, there's the one, there's one in 21, chapter 21 about like, if you are going about the land that you've conquered and you see a woman that you think is beautiful and you want to take her, yes, you can take her, but, but there's, her there's born. like really merciful rules. Yeah. Make sure she, she can't be thrown into slavery. You can't sell her into slavery. You can't profit off of her. Right. Like if you want to have her as your wife and live with her and love her and have children with her and bring her into your family, you can do that. But you yep. can't make a profit out of off of yep. her, and you can't yeah. rape her, you know, anything yep. like that. And when you desire to take her, you bring her into your home, and you give her a month where you just leave her alone, and she's allowed to mourn her family for a month. Like, and it's like, wow, that's you know, cool. I mean, this, this is a horrendous situation, regardless. But like that right. little glimpse of mercy is kind of nice, right? Again, like the nations knew Israel as a merciful nation when it right. went to battle. This is this is unprecedented, unprecedented, for time, yes, for the time. I mean, okay, so let me just, let's, I don't know if I should stop you there. Like, like, yeah, we can, we can start addressing this now. Okay. Yeah. So like it's unprecedented for the time. Great. Yeah. But it, is it, is it better? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wouldn't it have been better for God to have said like, no, you can't forcibly marry somebody. Oh, I see. Right. Like that's not okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's not what I was, uh, that's not what I'm prepared to answer. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, my question, I mean, so that was the question behind, in, in my mind, like, is it okay, like, I trust God's word, 
Yep. But this does feel like a woman is being as a treasure of war. Like she is plunder for war. It seems like they're saying, oh, don't okay. take plunder in this circumstance, in this circumstance, in this circumstance. But it still seems like they're bartering or getting right. women as part of the spoils okay. of war. I, okay, I have an answer for you then. Okay, okay. so um, a couple things to, to, to realize here. One, and this is not my favorite answer, so just know I'm, I'm throwing this out as the lowest hanging fruit, and it's going to okay. get better. So okay. one is... You know, does God just know, kind of like he did with the Avenger of Blood, that they're going to just do it? You know, like men and men in the, in the army, they are used to ransacking towns and raping women, you know? Yeah. And he's like, no, that's not going to stand in my land. If you want a woman, you commit to her, marry her, let her mourn her family, and you love her well. If you ever want to get rid of her, you do not get to sell her into slavery. You have to give her possessions and let her go and be at peace in the land because you've humili humiliated her, it even says. There's even like a moral indictment at the end of that that says, you've humiliated this woman. You've done something mm -hmm. that's kind of bad. And mm -hmm. so it even kind of owns up to that. And so yeah. I don't know if God was trying to steer people away from doing this to begin with, with this law. Okay. So that's not my favorite answer, but I do think that is an answer. The other way, the other thing we need to think about is... Um, if if Israel has come in and killed every male in the country, that leaves a bunch of widows. Mm -hmm. And so what God is doing is he is saying, let's take care of the widows, bring them in, marry them, love them, like make them into the covenant people of God and like care for them. And so we don't have a whole bunch of widows in these lands that, that don't have husbands anymore because in the ancient time, like, like women don't have rights. They don't have land, they can't own anything. And so he's like, let's take care of the widows in the land by marrying them. And it wouldn't just be the widows, it'd also be their orphan children. Their like, orphan children, like, that's right. You would be like marrying a woman and taking responsibility, not just for her, but for her family as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never thought about that before. Okay, yeah, that's helpful. And yeah, and, and so I think that's 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 an answer there. Is that if this is the way warfare is the way that God is going to send Israel into the nation, and we need to talk about that, then how how can God mercifully care for people and call Israel to love their neighbors as they are doing this thing? <laughs> you know, like, and I think right. this is one of the ways is that instead of just killing every male, raping the women, and leaving town, you need to take care of the women and bring them into your homes, take care of their children, all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, because then there is a, a, a provision. We're still talking about like, the holiness of God, like the holiness mm -hmm. of the land, the distinctiveness of God, like preserving innocence. And like even though war is hell, like, like, yeah. you know, like the, and living in a fallen world like necessitates almost this type of warfare. Like there are provisions to do it well, to do it justly, to do it fairly, and to preserve the innocence of those involved to a certain yep. degree. Yep. Yep. And so, yeah. So anyway, I just think that's one way to look at it. Now, I think this still leaves the big question of, but why war to begin with? Yeah. You know, like why, especially why for the Canaanites, like is God commanding his people to go in and put everything that breathes to the sword? Like what is going on? Now, with that question in mind, let's back up and talk about everything we just talked about in chapter 19. Okay. So we've learned that God is preeminently concerned with the shedding of innocent blood. That he only wants the guilty to have their blood shed. And if any yeah. innocent blood, one drop of it is spilled, that leaves a pall and a death mark and sin on that land. Yeah. Okay. So now before I jump to like, 
one of the main conclusions. Let, let's remember what is what is the land of Canaan. We already know they're offering child sacrifice. Like we already yeah. know that they're they're committing all kinds of uh, ritualistic sacrifices. They're killing each other. We, there's all kinds of sin going on inside the land of Canaan. It is stained with innocent blood. Like and God yeah. is bringing Israel in as the avenger of blood. Right, mm. he's bringing them in. Okay, okay, because that whole territory, God has marked off, put the boundary markers, which we talked about, around yeah. it, and said, "This is the land for my people. It's going to be a holy land. I am going to come and dwell in the midst of this land, and yet I can't right now because it's filled with innocent blood. It is just yeah. sin covered with sin. It's filled and, with like yep. spilled innocent blood. Spilled <laughs> so, innocent yeah. blood. Sorry, it's kind of yeah. confusing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay." It's filled with spilled innocent blood. And there's a lot of guilt there going on. And I made these, I put this boundary marker around it. That's my land. And so I'm going to bring my avenger of blood into it, the, the army of Israel, to come in and, um, and like bring atonement for all of this. Okay. And now I love then that there's this section on witnesses. Like God is very yeah. concerned with only bringing the guilty to be, to be punished. And so yeah. we know that God himself is standing as the ultimate witness that cannot lie against the people of Canaan. And he mm. is saying, like, these people are deserving of death, every single one of them. And so not, not one drop of innocent blood is shed when Israel comes into Canaan and kills them. Like, God, they are, he is acting out his just punishment and his atonement for the land and for all the sin that's in there on these people and for what they deserve. And so like, I, that doesn't make it any easier to hear, yeah. but yeah, I, yeah. I, I, but I do think it provides the right biblical categories and theological categories for why God is operating this way. Okay. So before I want, before I want to argue with the, the fact that everything that breathes includes children and yep. like that, in my mind, don't have in, like guilt on them. They, mm. They're not responsible for this into their parents. Before we go there, let me make I'm sure I'm understanding what you're saying more, more broadly. In a section of texts, in a section of laws concerned with killing, murder, and how God views innocence and guilt, mm-hmm. you have all these laws that are protecting the innocent, um, avenging the innocent, innocent enacting justice on the guilty and also like restoring innocent innocence when mm-hmm. um innocence has been lost in particular in the land itself like that haunting kind of like stain thing so what you're saying then is the the, the, the even warfare like falls under those categories so why and the reason why there's different laws for wars fought outside the land and wars fought inside the promised land is because you're actually dealing with two separate things outside the land you're dealing with like rules of warfare you want to expand Mm -hmm. your territory they haven't necessarily sinned against you or like sinned in the way that that these canaanites have but you want their land there's been some sort of tension there it's come to a head you need to work this way but when you're inside the land in god's holy space Mm -hmm. in god's temple you're actually like in his like his like present the place where his presence is supposed to dwell the laws are different because we're not talking about warfare we're talking about atonement and blood and sacrifice right. and we're talking we're just talking about a different category of thing yes we're talking about That's holiness right. not warfare yeah. 
That's I mean, right. it I is warfare, but it's like a whole, it's a holy warfare. It's like a, it's different in kind. Yep. And it so is. the reason why we kill everything that breathes, or we don't take plunder is because that is just, it's of a different demonic kind than mm-hmm. your arguments with your neighbors to the North. Right. Okay. That's, that's yeah, what I'm this, hearing you right. It's not, yeah. 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 Inside the land of Canaan is not geopolitical. It's theological. Got it. Yeah. That's a, that's a much easier way to say what it took me 90 seconds to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I, I, and I realize that this is still really difficult. Like, I don't want anyone hearing me to think like that I'm just completely satisfied and at peace with this because of what I've just articulated. Like, it's still Let something you to wrestle with. Question. Yeah, that, sure. Just like some, that might make it like, does everything that breathes mean killing people that might actually have been innocent? God fears within Canaan. Because, uh, like, Rahab. She was spared, and her family was spared mm-hmm. whenever they went mm-hmm. into Canaan into Jericho. Does yep. it necessarily mean all children? Because I know, like the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Agagites, all they they all appear throughout the rest of the Bible. Like, mm-hmm. like we have like evidence that these people that they're supposed to devote entirely to destruction appear elsewhere. Right? Um, does everything that breathes mean everyone? Period. Um, well, I think this. I think so. I think I, I have two answers for you. I, okay. I think you have the the God-fearer, repentant Rahab, yeah, who does seems to be the exception, not the rule, yeah. right? I mean, she is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible as this exemplary banner of faith, and it's a big deal. So I think yeah. she's the exception, not the rule. Um, she might not be the only exception, no, but if I don't there think so. are exceptions, if there are exceptions, people who are rarer than we think, then we might want to believe they are. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but all I'm saying is like, I think like, sure, if there are people there that repent when they see the armies of Israel coming and turn to the Lord, did God provide them ways of escape that didn't get chronicled in the Old Testament? Yeah, probably. Uh, I, I think that, that Rahab could stand as a category of repentant Canaanites who trembled before the encroaching army of the Lord and repented. Okay. Like, I don't I don't see why we shouldn't create her as a category. Okay. But I will say that the peop, when we read in the rest of the Bible about these other um nations, the Amorites and the Canaanites, the Jebusites, you know, they pop up elsewhere. Um God said that that would happen if they don't utterly destroy them and that they would be thorns in their flesh for generations to come. And that's what happens. Israel yeah. disobeys God in not putting everything to the to the sword. And that means that they then have to share the land with these sinful neighbors. And what happens? Exactly what God said would happen if they don't put them to the sword. They end up following their gods. They end up turning away from him. And then Israel herself ends up being taken over, murdered, mm-hmm. and um, kicked out of the land. Like, yeah, I mean, the story of Esther, where Haman is an Agagite, He's a descendant of the Canaanites, and mm-hmm. he wants to wipe out the Jews. That's right. In Persia, like yep. he, like that conflict still remains, and you're yes. saying that's because of their disobedience. That's right. It's the fruit of their been... sin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And so, um, yeah. So, do I believe that this included children? <laughs> do I like? Yeah. There, there's so many arguments around this, and there's so many ways to view it. I, I. I can't get away from the fact that I think the clearest reading of the text is that it's children. It includes children and cows and donkeys and sheep and women. And um, 
it doesn't make that comfortable. Uh, and yeah. I think that's the point. I honestly think that's the point. Yeah. I, I think that we are meant to fear the Lord in this passage. Like even I with just, all the provisions for innocent blood being spilled, like because it's like like I think that's the whole point is to show yeah. that if God says put every living thing to the sword, they're not innocent. You like we keep talking about these innocent parties. God, it's clearly not a category for God that these these children of the Canaanites are innocent. Um, now, now, could there have been a innocent category of children under a certain age or something like? Yeah. There definitely could have been. Do we read about it? No. So, like, I don't, I don't know yeah. if God made that provision. Um, this, these are one of those points that I come to in the Bible that I just have to like submit and be like, God's yeah. view of good is better than mine. I'm not going to try to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and define good and evil for myself and call God evil or try to warp His revealed word to make it fit better with my 21st century worldview. I'm going to try as best I can to sit under the word of God and let it convict me and say, yeah. like, David, I don't think you fear the wrath of God enough. And I don't think you mm -hmm. know how bad sin is. And I don't think you know how purifying the judgment of God will be. Like, I, I just don't think I've built those categories up well enough because yeah. I try to explain them away instead of sit under them. And so it's it's a hard passage, but I think it's hard for think... a reason. Yeah, and I think I hope my 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 tone's not skeptical there. Like I want this passage to cut me the right way as yeah, well. Yeah, totally. Um, because if if the point that I'm I should take away from this is fear the Lord, um, fear mm -hmm. His justice, and also be skeptical of your innocence. Like if that's what I'm supposed to take away, mm -hmm. like I do, I do want to f I want to feel that. Like I really yeah. do. Um, and so like, I'm trying to like build categories for myself by asking these questions, like are children innocent, like as a category already, you know, like even like if we're talking theologically, not geopolitically, like is my four year old and my 10 month old innocent? Like that's the question I feel like I want to start asking as well. Yeah. Well, you know I think I mean? we need to, yeah. And I think I've said this before on the show when we've talked about holy war, um, that, a like physical death does not always equal eternal death like judgment in on on planet earth does not mean you've fallen under god's eternal judgment forever so like i think we talked about this before yeah. that that if you kill like the killing of a young canaanite might have been a mercy from god because instead of growing up and becoming guilty and sacrificing their own children to the flames, or maybe they were next to be sacrificed themselves, instead of becoming some pagan worshiper who would have eternally been separated from God, by by killing them, their souls are saved forever because they weren't guilty and they'd been brought to God before they could enter into that time of guilt. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's another way to think about it. Yeah. So... Anyway, I just think it's helpful to not yeah, say that like think... physical death always eat because then if God put, putting someone physically to death under His judgment means that they're eternally separated from Him, then so are Moses and so is Aaron. They were both killed by God on mountains because mm -hmm. of their sin, and yeah. so like and they are not eternally separated from God. So yeah. I think that like I just think we have to expand our categories there a little bit. Okay, so. I mean, we're not going to solve this problem. No, People of course not. We've been, deb been yes. debating this for a long time. 
you feel uncomfortable with this topic, I feel uncomfortable with this topic, our listeners, you're probably feeling uncomfortable with yep. what we're talking about here. And if we're trying to see through, and like there's so much like cultural baggage here, like so if, if we're trying to see through the mist mm. and we're trying to determine, okay, we're talking about God's justice when it comes to guilt and innocence, particularly when it comes to killing, what do we need to take away from here? Like what, like, and how do we see Jesus? Like even in mm-hmm. like the, in this like passage about warfare. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we need to take away um, the severity of sin, right? I think we, we need to take away God's concern for holiness. And I think we, like, how do we get to Jesus is like, how do we not get to Jesus? We need to run to him, you know? Like we yeah. need to, like, it's the only escape we have from this well, encroaching maybe, tide of judgment. And well, maybe Rahab's helpful here then, because mm. in this in this scenario, the Canaanites are dwelling in, living in, god's promised place like Mm -hmm. his place and they're committing sin like they need justice needs to be done yeah the 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 haunting needs to be scrubbed like they need to be taken care of we're not much different even though like god does not have one place but because of jesus cross all authority has been given in him to him in heaven and on earth and under the earth like there's actually no part geopolitical nation that is not under god's domain that's right right? like he's he's over all his presence resides everywhere and so all sin Mm -hmm. all moving of the boundaries all shedding of innocent blood Mm -hmm. all sexual immorality is judged with the same severity as the theological killings that we have here in deuteronomy 20 yeah actually we're all under the same threat yes deuteronomy 20 Everything, us. everything that breathes is it, the sword is coming. So every city, every nation is like Jericho. Like yeah, yeah. God doesn't even need to use the army, but nope. with the with God's army's voice alone, He can cause the, the the walls to crumble. Yeah. And your only hope in that scenario is to be Rahab, like mm-hmm. <laughs> to trust God, yeah. to have heard of His work and His might and His salvation in. Israel in Egypt, but also on the cross in Jesus yes. and to cry out to him. This yep. is your only hope. It was the only hope for Rahab who was in Deuteronomy 20. Like yeah. she fell under the type yeah. of people of Deuteronomy 20. Like I think maybe the way to say that is like actually this, the closest we get to ever experiencing this is reading mm. about it because right. of Jesus. That's right. Right. And the reason, the reason is, is because of what we read at the end of Deuteronomy 21. So at the end of Deuteronomy 21, we hear this provision that might sound familiar to you if you've read um, your New Testament. It it talks about the fact that if anyone has committed a crime punishable by death, he is to be put to death by being hanged on a tree. And, um, but he's not to be left overnight because that would leave a curse on the land because it says, cursed is anyone who's hanged on a tree. And Paul picks up on this in Galatians 3 when he talks about how can we escape the curse, right? This curse of innocent, of shedding innocent blood, of moving boundary markers, of, you know, having a whole host of witnesses called against our lives that says, yeah, this David really, you know, screwed me over in this position. You know, he definitely deserves what's coming for him. He's cursed. Yeah. I'm in the land of Canaan with the armies of God encroaching on me, and I have no way to escape. I have a curse on me. Well, Galatians 3 says that Jesus became the curse for us 
as it is written, cursed is anyone who's hanged on a tree. So the curse of the encroaching sword of Israel fell upon Jesus instead of upon me. Mm. Like, this is just the basic no. building block of substitutionary atonement, that no. I deserve to have the sword of the Lord come for me, for my curse, but instead Jesus did. And now what happens? That blood, that pall, that, that haunting has been scrubbed over, and now innocence is coming. Righteousness is yeah. here. Holiness is here. The land is no longer polluted. It is now made yeah. clean. My body is no longer polluted. It's made clean because instead of the Canaanite of sin living in me, I now have the Holy Spirit living in me. I'm the new holy land of God that's been bought by the one who was cursed on a tree for me. Like, um, I have this image of like a lynching tree, you know, mm -hmm. like yeah. where somebody is like, was hung. Yeah. And like that place carries that haunting Definitely. and that pall. Yeah. So I have this image of like Jesus hanging there, but as he's being lynched, he's also like absorbing the haunting. Mm. Like he's like scrubbing it clean. Like I have an image of Jesus walking into a graveyard and like absorbing and sucking up all the death and all the like tragedy into himself, like taking away that weird feeling that we have. Like I just see you have these images of Jesus yes. going to these different places where the haunting resides. Wow. And like absorbing it. Yeah. He becomes a curse yeah. by hanging on the curse, by going into becoming mm -hmm. the curse spot itself. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I've often, I've often like even been kind of critical of how ubiquitous the image of the cross is in culture. And, you know, I've been critical of it being like, what if there was an electric chair there or a noose or, you know, you, yeah, you yeah. wouldn't put that around your neck. And I think I need to like reprimand myself there because the electric chair has never been redeemed. It's never had the haunting taken away from it. The noose mm -hmm. has never been redeemed. Yeah. It's never had the haunting scrubbed off of it. The cross can stand as a horrific instrument of death, but yet this beautiful symbol of hope and peace because the haunting has been removed because Jesus took the curse off of it. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Whew. Okay. Deuteronomy 19 to 21. <laughs> This is like the heaviest episode we've done in a while. Yeah, it's, oh. it is a heavy episode. Well, we guys, talked about yeah. this not long ago, but yeah, this is this is up there. It is. So, well, guys, if you hung in this long in the episode, you are commended. We thank you yeah. for, for sticking with us. Um, we will uh, move on to kind of miscellaneous various laws after this. Yeah. We're going to take a big chunk out of Deuteronomy next week. Uh, it will be very different. So hopefully <laughs> a little lighter yeah. and cover yeah, some we'll more topics. Bird's nests. Bird's uh, nests. Oh, that sounds nice. Clothing choices, cross-dressing. Yes. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, until then, uh, we just uh, we pray God's blessing and peace over you guys this week. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.